Grace Point Church podcast. This is a podcast where you're hearing sermon audio from Pastor Ben Hill, the pastor of Grace Point Church. In this episode, Pastor Ben continues his series, Who Do You Say I Am? This is part two. Let's listen in. So who is Jesus? Who is he? Who do you say he is? Now we've seen so far, we've seen Barnabas and, and he was healed by Jesus. Who did he say he was? He is the healer. He is the Christ. He is Messiah. And then we saw the disciples as they were by the gates of hell, quote unquote, and, and, and Jesus was referring to himself and revealed to them that he is the Christ. And boy, they saw it. And Peter said, you are the Christ. Jesus said, yes, and upon this rock I will build my church. We are a result of that conversation indirectly as it happened at that place and that time. So this morning we're going to look at this encounter with Christ. And we're going to see Jesus as barrier breaker. One who breaks down the walls. One who tears down the stereotypes, if you will, peels back or pulls back the curtain, peels back the outer skin, and looks on the inside and finds us where we are. Right where we are. Jesus breaks down the walls. He is barrier breaker. John chapter number 4, verses 1 through 30, you'll recognize it very, very easily and very quickly. Give me some water to drink. The woman said, How can you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan, for water? Jesus replied, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give will never be thirsty again. The book of John, chapter 4. They say your life could change in an instant. And mine did when a Jewish man asked me, a Samaritan, for a drink. I thought I'd experience 
pistol the hump. I thought I was pretty good at finding it too. submit to you that he became her everything. And the question for us today is this, is he the same for you and for me? Is he really, truly, and genuinely our everything? In order for him to be that in her life, for order for her to see that he is who he says he is. In order for that to happen for her, there had to be some things broken down. There had to be barriers. There had to, Remember she said she came to that well every day. She came over and over, and every time she left, she got thirsty again and would come back again. It's symbolic of more than just the water she was drawing. It was her life. She kept searching for things that she didn't even know she needed. She was looking for answers that she couldn't even identify the question for. She was looking for something to fulfill her, and she kept trying to find it in ways that were not helpful but were destructive, and she couldn't really identify exactly what it was she needed. But then Jesus came, and he found her. Let's go to the scripture. It says, Now therefore, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees, verse 1 of chapter 4, had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. It's interesting, the word left there in the Greek language is a word that carries with it the meaning or the text that suggests he leaves something to itself. So in other words, he left it there, and he left it to itself. In other words, he moved on from there, and I thought that was very interesting. He left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass, it says. He must, he, he, was, he was forced to, if you will. He felt the need to. Could he have skirted Samaria? Yes, he could have. But he had to pass through. It was the most direct route. And he went through Samaria, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. A drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Now stop and think about it from this perspective. You know the story. You've heard it. I know I've preached it recently talking about this passage. 
But it was, it was a big deal for Jesus to speak to a Samaritan woman. It was a big deal for a man to speak to a woman outside of, in, in public like that. But much less a Samaritan woman and he a Jew. So it blew her mind. But notice what he did. First of all, Jesus broke the barrier and made contact with her. You know, I think about us as believers so oftentimes. We say we want others to know Christ, right? We say we want others to, 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 to have a relationship with the Lord Jesus. We know that as believers, we have not only been given the gospel and given new life in Christ and given the person of God dwelling within us, but we're also given the mandate and the instruction to do what? Sure. To make Him known, right? And are we not to share the gospel? Are we? But how many times do we sit back and we say passively, Lord, you open the door the right way in the right circumstance. And if somebody comes to me in the good time for me and asks me about you, then I'll be happy to point them to, to the scripture or to the church or somebody else like my Sunday school teacher or something like that, right? <laughs> Notice what Jesus did. He made contact with her. He broke down the social barrier that said they could not interact. He disarmed the situation. And he went to her and he met her right where she was. And then he does something else. And here's what he does. He challenges her. I love this. Not only does he make contact with her, but he challenges her. And how does he challenge her? Well, look at verses 4, verses 9 through 15. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. He would have given you living water. Now he challenges her because she, he challenges her sensibilities. Not only is it an odd thing that this Jewish man is speaking to her, a Samaritan woman, but now he's talking about stuff that, that doesn't really compute. In other words, he talks about this water that she needs and she knows that she has to have it every single day because the, how many of you realize and recognize if you don't have water, you die? Everybody good? Yep. Anybody going to argue that point? No. Nope. You can't make coffee without water, so you will die. There yes, you go. Exactly. Right? You have to have water. Fair enough? And so, he, so he's challenging her on this point because he says not only is this water that you have to have, and you know you do, but I'm talking about living water. And the tense there means living now and forever. It means eternal living. It's living water that goes on living and living and living. In other words, it's water that never depletes. It never evaporates. It never goes away. You think maybe Jesus called her attention with that? Probably did. And then verse 14 says, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. Water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now stop and think about it. Here she is every single day. Not only is she kind of on the outside looking in, not only has she isolated herself by her own past or for the reason of her own past, 
She's coming at a time of day which is normally not the cool of the day where water is drawn. She's coming every day under the heat of the sun and she's coming to draw the water that she must have to sustain her life. And Jesus looks at her right where she is and says, I am prepared to give you living water. As a matter of fact, with this water, you will never be thirsty again. Now stop and think about how she must have felt at that point. When she realized and she recognized this guy is talking about something big. He challenged her sensibilities. He challenged her way of thinking. Verse 11, the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Where are you going to get the water? I'm looking at you. You have nothing to get it out of the well with. Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. I mean, this is history stuff. This is, this is ancestor stuff. This is, this is God doing for us what we couldn't do. This well comes from him. And here you are saying that you're going to get water somehow miraculously out of this well. And you're going to make that water last for me forever and ever. Where I won't have to come back and draw the water again. How can you say this? Are you greater than God? <laughs> I can imagine Jesus smiling on the inside. Going, no, I'm not thinking I'm greater than him, but I am him. Right? Here he has this encounter with her. He challenges her. But what does he do next? Next we see the confrontation. I love this. You see, because not only do we need to make contact with people, not only do we need to make contact with them so that we can share the gospel, so that they can know the good news of salvation in Christ, but we need to challenge their thinking, you see, because the world tries to say that this gospel thing is just a crutch. Have you ever heard that? Yep. Or perhaps the world tries to say that it's not really that important. I mean, it's just a matter of however you feel personally. Does the world try to say that, oh, it, there's a whole lot of ways to get to heaven. Just find the path that's good for you and it'll be all right. Anybody ever hear that? Oh, yeah. Or how about this one? You know what? Life is okay. I don't have any great need. I I'm doing all right. I've got everything that I want. You know, hey, I'm happy. Why do I need to bother myself with something silly like this fantasy that you Christians try to bring up? <laughs> you see, people need to know. And they need to hear that there's a need. So not only are they contact need to be made, but a challenge needs to be put out there. There is something missing in your life, whether you recognize it, know it, or not. There's something missing. But in third, there has to be a confrontation. Look what Jesus said. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right. Can you imagine what she thought at that point? What do you mean you're right? I just told you. He said, you are right. You have had five husbands. And the one you have now is not your husband. What you said is true. Now stop for just a moment. I don't know about you, but this woman probably has to look at him like this. Wait a minute. Who have you been talking to? <laughs> right? Perhaps she started thinking at this point, this might not have been an accidental encounter, right? 
Perhaps you're saying, this man was waiting on me because he's been talking to somebody and he's coming out here to ridicule. To be angry. To cast dispersions against me. What is going on? Jesus said to her, go call your husband. She has to say, I don't have one. Jesus says, you're right. He confronts her, but how does he confront her? He confronts her with the evidences of her own conduct. In other words, what does he do? He exposes to the light of truth her sinfulness and the core evidences of the fact that she was empty inside. You get it? In other words, if she had had five husbands and was now with the sixth first man, was there something missing in her life? Do you think she was trying to fill a void that she couldn't quite get done? Do you think maybe there's a problem going on? Can I get an amen? Amen. Right? Something happening here. And Jesus puts his finger on it and he identifies it. And I love the fact that he doesn't beat around the bush. He doesn't look at her and say, well, you know, I know this thing, but it's just going to be okay. I mean, you, 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 I understand that you've kind of had some trouble in the past, but I want you to know that. Now, what does he do? He says, you're right. As a matter of fact, you're so right that I'm going to expose what it is and say, you've had five husbands. And now you're with a man who's not your husband. This is so, so, so against the law of God. Hello! <laughs> right? And he points it out, but how does he do it? He does it directly. He does it matter-of-factly. But he doesn't do it antagonistically. And he doesn't do it judgmentally. He simply identifies the radical reality of her need. Folks, listen. The world does need to see their sinfulness. Amen. You cannot come to faith in Christ without a confrontation between the holiness of God and the sinfulness of your own depravity. There must be a meeting of those two. You have to have seen it and recognize it because conviction must take place. But listen to me. The world needs to see that because of the holiness of God, the world doesn't need to see their desperation based on some artificial thing that we've put up that tries to put us as believers as something better than them. In other words, the world needs to see the truth of Christ. The world needs to see the reality of sin. The world does not need to see our piety nor our somehow judgment looking down our nose at them. We just need to show them the truth. Amen. Amen. Amen? So there had to be this confrontation with her. And I love it that Jesus says, you know what? The other evidence I saw of the fact that Jesus was really doing something big here. How many of you love confrontation with others? <laughs> Okay, I did not see a single hand go up. I am so glad I did. 
Because, I mean, but if, if it's true and you didn't lay out your hand, you need to raise your hand so we need to pray for it, right? <laughs> Nobody loves to confront, right? You, you don't love confrontation, right? I don't know about me. My, my, my avoidance of confrontation is a fault. You know, I, I, have, I have had my head in the sand so much that I breathe beach dirt. You know what I mean? I'll just hide and bury, just forget, maybe it'll go away, right? No. But here's the reality. Jesus does not do that. He confronts her, but why? Was there anything in Christ, was there anything in the evidence of his life, was there anything in his demeanor or his words that indicated he confronted her because he wanted to highlight the fact that he was better than her? Was there anything in him that, that said, maybe I would feel good about myself if, if I could compare myself to them and know that I'm not quite as bad as they are? I mean, I know I'm rotten, but I'm not as bad as Tom is. <laughs> right? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. None of that. Jesus just simply confronts her with her sin because she had to see it. It was up to her. She had to to see the reality of her need before she could sense and know and understand what the answer to her unasked question was. In other words, Jesus in his confrontation did it in love and displayed his perfect love for her because he didn't back away. How many times have I been talking to somebody and I, I backed up and soft-sold some things or, or perhaps didn't want to confront them in, in, in what they needed to see or hear because, you know, I was afraid it might come back on me negatively or, or perhaps I, they wouldn't like me or something. I mean, God forbid they not like me, right? <laughs> How many times have we done that? But in reality, it's so selfish. Because if we truly love someone, we will tell them how much they need Jesus. Yes? Am I alone in here? Hello? <laughs> there was a confrontation. See, there was another barrier that was broken down. Jesus went there. He knocked the wall down and he went there. He confronted her with the very poor evidence of her need. Why? Because he loved her. He wanted her to know the truth. But then we notice next. We see the conversion. I love this. There's a lot of stuff that's implied in here. So you can't really theologically say all these things because, but tell the language. And the reality of what she did kind of gives us a clue, if you will. Look at uh, verse 19. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. So now he's gone from a Jewish man who's kind of goofy talking to her, <laughs> Samaritan woman, saying he's going to get water out of the well and he doesn't have anything to get it with. To now knowing, well, wait a minute, he knows stuff he ain't supposed to know. So he says, oh, she says, okay, man, he got to be a prophet. He got her attention. He says, you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. Now, did Jesus say anything about Jerusalem? No. Nope. 
So what does she say? The you there turned into a collective you, mm -hmm. and she's referring to the Jews. Right? right? Mm -hmm. And referring to the Jews, she says, you say their place to worship is in Jerusalem. Our ancestors worship here. Now you say you got to worship there. What is she doing? Well, there's several things she's doing. Number one, she's deflecting. Yeah? Anybody ever been in a witnessing situation with someone and you're talking about the reality of their need and you get to that point where needing said and, and they want to change the subject? Anybody? Yeah? They'll either change the subject or they'll stiff argue and say, I don't want to hear that. Right? It's not an uncommon thing. It happens all the time. So she's trying to change the subject, be polite, but whatever. She says, you say to Jerusalem. And what else is that? Folks, listen, let's fast forward to the day. We're talking to people. And people have, whether we like it or not, whether we admit it or not, people have an image of the church. Yes? I mean, think about it. What do they see as the church? A lot of times people see the church as, oh, a place where a bunch of stuck-up people walk. You say, what are you talking about? Well, just trust me. They think they're holier than others. They think they're better than everybody else. You know what? A lot of that is just a cop-out. Because they don't want to admit their own need. But a lot of that's been fueled by some behavior, perhaps, that maybe we as a church collectively, not us individually, but as a church, have displayed. Right? We put out there this image that, you know what? We are just a little bit better. In other words, you've got, you got, you got to do things a little differently if you want to be a part of us. How many times have you invited somebody to church and they've looked at you and they said that, that they, they can't come to church because they don't have anything to wear? Anybody? You know, my, my, my answer to that is do you have clothes? <laughs> if you have clothes, if you don't, I know how you can take a bed sheet and make a toga and come on. <laughs> right? You've got something to wear to come to church. Because we need to make sure they understand that it's not about the outer clothing. How many of you said, I don't want to go to church because I've got tattoos and stuff? Anybody? You ever heard that? I've heard it. Who cares? Come on anyway. Why? Because the last time I went fishing, when I caught a fish, doesn't happen often, so I remember it well. <laughs> And that fish was fighting on that hook. You know what they do? I don't know what they do under the water. It's kind of I'm reeling that sucker in. And I pulled it up, and it comes out of the water. And you know what I did? I picked it up, and I pulled it over into the boat, and laid it on, and it started going... Flopping <laughs> around the bottom. But you know what? It had every scale. It had every slimy slime it has. It had every fin on it. It had every... Ugh, and it just flopped around and it did all that stuff. It was dirty and nasty, right? Yep. You can tell I'm a real good fisherman, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, she might. <laughs> no, I just have her moisten the bait before I put it on. But anyway... <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, there you go. But here's the thing. When that fish came out of that water and came into that boat, was it all cleaned? Was it filleted? Was it breaded and ready to be fried? No. No, no, no. 
Yeah. You want to go to that lake, right? It's called the Bilo. But anyway, anyway. But, uh, but here's the reality. Are you with me? That fish came into the boat how? Just like it was. So folks, listen. We sing just as I am without one. But do we really mean it? What if someone came in here that strained at every sensibility of decorum we think ought to be? Let me give you an example. Back years, many, many moons ago, when we were youth ministers, Deb and I, in a church that we had was similar to this, a little bit bigger than we are, but not a whole lot. And we were serving there, and we were going to make a point one day, and so we had told everybody we wouldn't be at church that night. And we went down to Goodwill or where, I can't remember where we went, Salvation something, and we bought a bunch of old clothes. And then we proceeded to rip them a little bit, tear them and smudge them up with dirt, make them a little older than they were. Down to like scraggly wig, long hair and makeup and false beard and the whole nine yards. And we dressed up just like we were street people. Street people. This is homeless, dirty. But we showed up at church. <laughs> Remember how we walked in? Walked in, and those people couldn't recognize us. Now, if they looked closely, they probably would have. But they saw what we were and wanted to avert their eyes. We came in and we sat down, and I'll have you know that people got up and moved away and left a hole around us. Oh, wow. Well, it was fun when the invitation came because we knew what was happening that night, and we went forward to get saved. Then stood up and revealed it was us. You should have seen people's faces. <laughs> right? The point is this, guys. We say, come as you are. But do we mean it? Do we? See, Jesus did not look at the reality of who she was and see that in any way as being a hindrance to her having a one-on-one personal intimate encounter. Folks, listen, I don't care what somebody looks like. I don't care what somebody's done. The love of God and the grace of God, the mercy and forgiveness of God, all the God there is God, is not outside of the availability for any person ever born. We see this conversion in her. But the hour is coming is now when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father, Jesus said, is seeking such people to worship him. What is he saying to her? You're the very person. You told me the truth. Remember he said, "Use what you say is true when she talked about her husband, right? 
And then Jesus follows that up with worship in spirit and in truth. It's not by accident that he follows up with the word truth there. He just referred to her as being truthful. And he says, worship him in spirit and in truth, referring back to her truthfulness. And then he says, these are the people the Father is seeking to worship him. In other words, he says... Here's the reality. Not only are you okay in God's kingdom, but you're the very person that Jesus is looking for. Amen. Amen. At the desperate point of her need. Folks, I'm telling you. What a Savior. So I do something. <laughs> the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Now, he has her focused in the right direction. Right? Yep. Now he reveals about this truth. And she, well, wait a minute. I know Messiah is coming. And, and then when he comes, you know, he'll tell us all things. And wait a minute. You just told me things that you shouldn't know. Open door, and Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. What a great reveal. Amen. Amen. He says, I am he. Jesus reveals himself. Wow. I believe it's at that point that she probably fell down, didn't have a whole lot to say. <laughs> I have met. Next, we see the changed life. I love this. Look, look, look what happens. Just then, verse 27, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, What do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? Good for the everybody give kudos to the disciples. Give them a little clap. Give them a little golf clap. They got it. They, they were aware enough to know not to come in there book, barreling in and trying to push her away from him because you're tainting him. <laughs> no, they didn't do that, right? They were quiet for a change. Even Peter, that's shocking. <laughs> Why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar. Went away to town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me that I all I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Notice that she left her water jar. Remember I talked about the fact that when she came to the well, what Jesus saw in her, she saw, he saw in her the dry well of her life. And when she came, he saw her bringing the water pot. And as the video pointed out, it was something she did every day, but she would come back and she'd thirst again and she'd have to come back and get more. Have to come back and get more. Have to come back and get more, right? In order for her to get the water every day, what did she have to have? Notice what she did. Just as surely as her coming to the water represented the reality of her life, when she left that water jar there and returned, it represents the reality that she left her old life. 
Maybe you say, well, Pastor, that reading a lot into that. Yeah, it is. Maybe she was just forgetful. I don't think so. I believe the reality is she left it behind because you know what? That subsistence level item of necessity became so much less important after her contact with the Messiah. She left it there. What did she do? She told others, said to all the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Now, did Jesus tell her all that she ever did? No. No, but she recognized that if she had wanted to, he certainly could have, right? She understood that she was completely exposed. And in that exposure, she met the one person in all of history that could find her right where she was and change her from the inside out into being everything she could ever hope to be. You see, God is in the business of changing lives even today. Amen? Amen. God is in the business. So wrapping this up, I want you to notice and see with me what Jesus revealed of himself that day. It's the same thing that he reveals of himself today as we investigate and study and look at this passage of Scripture. What Jesus revealed of himself. First of all, no one is too sinful or too lost to be forgiven by him. Can I get an amen? amen. No one is too sinful or too lost to be forgiven by the Master. All may come. Number two, no one can be saved without facing their sinfulness. She could not have reached the point that she reached. She could not have reached the point of conversion and, and, and change had she not confronted the reality of her sinfulness, right? And Jesus exposed it to her and you know what? I believe you. I'm shadow of a doubt that sin is sin. And we need to make sure that the world understands that sin is sin. But we need to do it with the understanding that they recognize that we're not thinking we're any better than they are because we got sin too. Mm -hmm. But hallelujah, we have the answer. Somebody say amen. Amen. No one can be saved without facing their sinfulness. Number three, no one humbly faces their sinfulness. No one who humbly faces their sinfulness will be turned away by him. Just as I am without one plea, I come to Jesus and hope he sees me. No. Right? Just as I am, I come. He hears. He knows. He understands. When I humbly confess before him, he forgives. Somebody say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Number four. No one who personally meets Jesus will ever be the same. That's true. The evidence of this woman's life was certainly that she changed that day. We don't hear or know anything else about her, but I don't think it's a stretch to think that with the encounter that she had with the person of Christ, that her life was forever changed. Can I, can I tell you something? 
I firmly believe when someone has a personal encounter with Jesus Christ, they are changed. Did I say they become a perfectly decorated ornament with no flaws? That's not what I said. They are changed. And I believe Jesus far is far less concerned about the outward change initially than he is about the inward change. Right? Let me give you an example. Over the 30 years I've been married, I've gotten fat. Everybody <laughs> <laughs> else just got skinny. Everybody else got skinny, that's right. But not by comparison, right? I hear you, Ron. You and me, baby. <laughs> no, yeah, when Debbie and I met, I weighed 128 pounds. Oh, my goodness. See what she did to me? No, seriously. I got a question for you. Did I buy these fat clothes when I still weigh 130 pounds? That would have been absolutely preposterous. You see, the change had to take place inside the clothes. <laughs> before I change the clothes. Maybe she's not finished. Maybe these are made of elastic. You never know. <laughs> but here's the point. The change on the inside before the suit change. Amen. Folks, listen. Jesus is looking on the inside. He's looking for the change to take place there. But then will work its way to visibly I'm afraid that in the church we flip-flop that too. We focus on the outside instead of honing in on the inside. Yeah. Who do you say I am? You see, that question we'll ask for the next four weeks probably. Who do you say I am? It's not a church question. It's not a Sunday sermon question. It is a life critical question. You see, because when judgment comes at the end of this life, the answer to that question is what determines your everlasting life. Who do you say he is? I submit to you today that I agree wholeheartedly with the woman at the well. He is the Christ. He is Messiah. He's the Savior of the world. He is the only one who can forgive Father, we come to you now in Jesus' name. Thank you for your goodness and your grace.
And Lord, we thank you for the everlasting truth of who you are. Thank you for the lessons of your word, the truth of scripture. God, we submit to you. We ask you to have your way in our lives and have your way in our days. This day and tomorrow and the next. Reveal yourself to others through us. Get us out of the way so that they might see you. And Father, help us to love as you want. And serve as you serve. And may it be for your glory, for your kingdom's sake, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here today and you've never had this kind of personal encounter with Jesus Christ, guess what? That doesn't have to stay that way. You need to know him. Recognize this. When he peers inside you, he sees to the core. No secrets from the Master. No secrets from God. Your sin is exposed. If you've come short of the glory of God, you've sinned. That's a pretty clear bar. Your sin has separated you from God. Without the forgiveness of Jesus. And recognizing and accepting His sacrifice for your sin. You're undone. You're lost. But he's seeking just your time to worship him. Just surrender your life to him. Ask him to forgive you for sin and come in and he will give you eternal life. listening to the Grace Point Church podcast. To find out more information about Grace Point Church, go to our website at www.gracepointsc.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Grace Point Church SC. Follow us on Twitter at Grace Point SC, Instagram, Grace Point Simpsonville, Snapchat, and LinkedIn. You can also listen to Pastor Ben's other sermons on YouTube or subscribe to this podcast. Thank you for listening.